Before we start, today I still am still recovering from the flu. My voice is still shot, halfway shot, so excuse me for that. Let's begin. Today on Geekdom Powers. I have really strange Twitter timeline look. It's why I keep scrolling the timeline because I will just come across the coolest stuff that I've never seen before. You know, people retweeting other folks. It's how I found people like August in the Wake of Dawn, Erica Price, Emma Hubois, a lot of really other amazing trans artists who are out here making superlative comics, Lane Yates, who does single camera sitcom. And I just follow the thread. I see a piece of art I like, or I see a comic page or someone who says something funny, and I go to their profile and look at what they do. And then if they make comics, I go take a look at what they are, and I say, hey, can I review these? You are listening to Geekdom Empowers, the podcast about people empowered through their geekiness. Welcome back! My name is Guy Hasson, and you are listening to Geekdom Empowers. Geekdom Empowers is the podcast that highlights creators and fans in the geek world who do not often get to be highlighted. It's these people, it is us, who make up almost all of the geek world. All of it, not almost all of it. By talking to each person, by hearing their stories, Geekdom in Powers creates a huge, giant, world-sized quilt of the geeks all around the world. Each person is a story, and together we are one story, one huge Geekverse quilt. Today, our guest is Krista Herider, aka Knowledgeable Cabbage. They are a comic book reviewer, a comic book creator, a fan of geek stuff, and many, many things we'll talk about. They are fun, funny, great to talk to, so let's just listen. Can you tell me a little bit about your origin story? Origin story in comics or origin story in life? Uh, in comics. But you can talk yeah, about it. So I came to comics a little bit later in life. I had always been reading, you know, kind of Archie comics as a kid, whatever I could pick up on the newsstand when we went to the grocery store in the checkout aisle, things like that. Um, I read Sandman in high school, which was totally a game changer. But coming off of that and looking for other things with no recommendations from anyone was a little bit tough because it's not every day you can find something, you know, this multi-volume epic that's of that particular quality. I read a little bit of Hellblazer. I read um, Watchmen, Dark Knight Returns, that kind of stuff. And it wasn't really clicking for me until I met my partner, Eric, who introduced me to Justice League International, of all things, which is the Demetrius Giffen uh, series with Kevin McGuire's amazing art. You're reading the same comics I used to, except that I, I think I'm at least 20 years older than you, but okay. The same, yeah. He, that was the yeah, he's about 10 years older than me. So he, and I mean, we've been together for a long time and had been at that point too. So he was like, I think I know some stuff that you might like. Mm-hmm. I think you're a little bit more of a goofball in your taste than some of the more serious literary stuff. And that really cracked it for me. And he introduced me to some of, you know, some more experimental stuff, Grant Morrison and the like, and then just took off from there. That was when I was about 25, 24, 25. So solid decade for me, which is yeah. pretty good. Oh. I, I want to geek out about Justice League International for a second. That Please was do. hilarious. It was groundbreaking at the time. Just so freaking funny. It came out in, in that deconstructionist era. And the fact that they gave them 
Batman to actually use along with the rest of the characters, considering mm-hmm. what other folks were doing with him at the time is just wild to me. And it was just such a smash hit. And I'm so glad it was because it went on for so long. And, you know, other folks picked it up after them, but it's really those first couple volumes. That's just, uh, it's delightful. And Guy Gardner Guy is my Gardner. favorite character. And Lobo. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when they fight each other, it's so good. And the cat. <laughs> mm-hmm. Martian Manhunter and Batman just being so mm-hmm. serious. Yeah. Yeah. We say all- if Batman is dad in that series, then Martian Manhunter is kind of mom. Like he has to look after everybody mm-hmm. and clean up everyone's messes. He's a little bit more tolerant than Bruce is at times. Bruce sure. can be a bit of a hard ass in that. And uh, the only thing I didn't like there was I really loved Captain Adam. I don't know if you read this is from the 80s. It was mm-hmm. really good. And Demaris obviously didn't know anything about Captain Adam. So he just wrote him like flat. And Yeah, that was my him. first exposure to him. And then going out and trying to find something else was a little difficult after that because it's an interesting characterization. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on. So you fell in love with comics and they changed it, changed the world. Yeah, it did. I learned, um, I'm, you know, I, I come from a literary background and creative writing, prose, poetry, you know, very serious stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like when, when you write, it's always about serious things and it has to be, if it's experimental, it's also very serious. And so coming to comics was really interesting because I don't have an art background, first of all. So learning that vocabulary was difficult for me and I'm still learning all the time. But it was it threw me for a loop. I was like, wow, you can do these really amazing kind of heart wrenching, serious stories and then just have this high level of humor at the same time. And that's that's why I'm still here. And I get goofier as I get older. I relax a little bit. (laughs) So it's been fun to find to find this medium. It's been pretty special. And did you try to be like uh, at any stage in the beginning? Did you try to be creative to create comic books? Do I try to make books? Yeah, comic books. Yeah, I'm actually branching out into that now. I have um, a short coming out in the Kickstarter anthology, The Color of Always. I have another one that's coming out um, sometime next year, which will also be kickstarted. So dipping my toes in with some shorts to kind of see how I can play with the medium a little bit, because I think you can do a wide variety of stories in just a couple pages. And then I have some other ideas. My partner and I are working on a script for a mini series and kind of trucking along. The, like you said, you were experimenting with uh, stuff you can do uh, in short form. Can you talk about that a little bit? Like what are you experimenting with? Yeah, I have. So I'm a non-binary person and I've kind of, fig- well, figured out, I'm still figuring it out. It's kind of a process, but um, I have a short coming out kind of it, kind of looking back at the different stages of my queer and gender journey throughout the years as kind of these significant marking points of when I figured something out or when I was particularly confused or when I was expressing myself in a certain way. And so I have a six page short where each page is a different stage in my life and it's kind of an unfurling. And I think that's something that you can express um, best in comics because of the visual component. And just, just a quick plug, I'm working with artist Katie Hicks, who is absolutely phenomenal. I lucked out by getting paired up with her and her art is fantastic. So everyone should go check it out and hire her. Okay. I also looked her up for the uh, podcast. Um, But one page per stage, that's not a lot of room. No, it's not. So 
what I love about short comics is you really have to pick your moments. You have to, and you know, in, in longer books, it's just as difficult in certain ways because you have to sustain a plot over a long period of time. Even something like a four or five issue miniseries, I think is difficult. You have to hit a lot of beats. When you're working in short form, every panel, every inch of that page matters. So you have to be very specific about the action that you show or the moments that you choose to get across, you know, a pretty, a pretty in my case, pretty strong emotion to try to carry the story forward. That's not saying that I'm successful necessarily, but that's what I tried to do. Okay. And how was it for you to do it? Oh, it was so much fun. Yeah. I've been... My editing, I edit uh, indie comics and it's been picking up over the last year or two. And it was so fun to switch gears and kind of take a lot of things that I've learned, even from my clients and from people that I've been reading and, you know, five or six years of criticism at this point and just kind of put it all together. And it was fun. And, you know, it's probably not going to be anything earth shattering in terms of breaking the medium or doing something new. But I think I was able to tell a pretty solid story and I'm proud of it. Cool. It sounds great. I want to see it now. Thank you. Uh, is it, it's coming out in, in uh, when and in what? It's in the Color of Always anthology, which is on Kickstarter. It's fully funded, which is awesome. Um, that is spearheaded by my friend Brent Fisher, who is an amazing person. And that should be out um, early next year. Excellent. Okay, so now let's go back to the past. Uh, so you liked comic books and then what's the next step in your origin story? So I was reading a bunch of comics um, and my partner started writing just regular comic reviews for a website called Outright Geekery. And he said, hey, you know, I'm dipping my toes back into reading. It's actually getting me to read different things. And, you know, he grew up in a comic book store. His dad owned it. So he's been knee deep in them since he was a kid. I was like, oh, I don't know. Well, hold on, hold on. What's it like to grow up in a comic book store? That's not your story, but what? <laughs> uh, it was more mundane than you'd think. He said he spent more time hauling long boxes in his youth than, than most people. And they had to move locations three times. So that was a lot of, you know, moving a lot of inventory. But mm -hmm. he was reading everything that came in. So he really was spoiled for choice when he was a kid. And both of his parents were artists. Um, his mom actually spent some time working for the Comics Journal back in the day, interviewing folks. So yeah, he, he grew up around uh, people who were influential and weird artists in the, in the 70s and 80s. So it was a pretty cool childhood for him. Okay, sorry, I interrupted you, but- I No, no, it's okay. <laughs> like, you know, I'm imagining sleeping between the comic books. <laughs> Coming home from school, just plopping himself down on the floor with a pile of books and yeah, yeah good times. Okay, so back to you. Okay, so he started writing for Outright Geekery and he was like, you know, you're, you're good at critical work. Why don't you try it? And so I talked to the owner of the site who very graciously had me come on and I was hooked. It was, it was a chance for me to expand my comics vocabulary while I was you know, writing about them and reading them, which was very special. And the first thing that really got me to, to think differently about comics was um, Rom V's series Paradiso. I picked that up on a whim. It came out from Iv Image several years ago. And it's, it was just this strange post-apocalyptic sci-fi, non-linear, delightful narrative. And I didn't, you know, me, 
being dipping my toes in, I was like, oh, people are still making comics like this. Of course they are. People are making comics like that all the time, but I didn't know. And so that just opened up a whole new world for me. I was like, oh, let's go check out this white noise crew that he's a part of. And I found Alex Pacnadel and other folks and just took off from there. Cool. And how, like you say, your partner says you had a, a talent for, uh, what is it? Uh, not editing. Crit yeah. Critical writing. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how well, did you know that? Um, I've always, you know, bad at math, great at liberal arts. English has always been my thing. I love writing essays. I love doing critical work. And, you know, I don't think I'm the best person to ever hit the planet who does it, but I think it's a, it's a personal strength of mine that I can look at something, see how, see how it breaks down, see how it's working. And then I think the most important thing about critical writing is that you, there's a synthesis at the end. You, you come back to a thesis of the author, or it's more than the sum of its parts and you communicate kind of the inner workings of a piece of art and see if it's effective or not. It's fun for me. I enjoy the the task of breaking it down and building it up again. Did you construct something? And do you, do you also feel you find the soul of the person who did it? I think yes. And, and I would say the main caveat is that when it's good, and I think a huge variety of things can be good. I don't have, at this point, I don't have a particular even genre or flavor of comic that I look for. Anything can be great. You know, a superhero smash em up can be great. Uh, a solo autobio comic can be great. It's just when someone's putting their whole, their whole self into something and completely believes in the story and cares about the people or things, if there are no people in it, then you can tell and it really comes off the page. Mm -hmm. That's what I like to do when I, because I'm a writer, I can, I can see the soul of the person very quickly. And, and there's a resonance. Yeah, you feel like yeah. you're walking alongside somebody. It's cool. And the better job they do, the more you feel, you know, they make you feel like themselves. They make you share their thoughts and their emotions and their deepest uh, emotions. So, you know. Definitely. And one thing I love about comics is that because of the visual element you get and colors and letters, you're getting a whole team of people's creativity on the page that fuses to make something very special. Yeah. It's... In that, it's a quite like I also come from the theater. So in the theater, I know, you know, I'm the person who writes the words and you leave holes for people to put their soul inside, for actors inside those uh, words and in building and directing it and in doing that. So, but uh, you find a way to bring out people's, uh, you know, again, souls in the most, uh, in the way that fits everything, which is that's the writer's job in this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of folks that I know refer to writing as directing or even kind of project managing. It's like, you know, the beats that you want to hit, uh, depending on the artist or team that you work with, you can get as detailed or as sparse as you want with panel direction and general flow and let your artists play with stuff, which I think is where the magic happens when you leave that space. It's like, well, how do you see this page? And what do you want to do with it? And then you get something back and it's so lovely and so unlike anything you could have come up with yourself. So mm. it's pretty special. Yeah. And so you, did you, when did you start writing for? I started writing for, I think I started writing in 2016. 
And then from Outright Geekery, I jumped over to Multiversity after that. They're a great bunch of people. And then I met Matt Leggetti of Comic Book Yeti randomly on a Twitter thread and linked up with him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We both liked um, Alex Pacnadel's Friendo. And so we bonded and became friends. And then he invited me to start writing for him. And then uh, he put the site on hiatus. We came back. I became editorial director. We amassed a bigger team and it's been skyrocketing from there. He has a lot of really cool people over there. And let's, again, jump just a little back. How did you get the jobs at Outright Geekery? And how does that happen? I'm sure a lot of people want to get in and don't know how. Mm -hmm. Um, My partner had been writing over there and he talked to the owner. They had an open, just an open call for writers. And so I submitted my information and and just a quick writing sample. And they said, hey, do a sample review. And I don't remember what it was at this point. And I did, and I was able to to just kind of hop on and join the team. And they, they've been really good to me too. So Matt, a big shout outs to Ryan and folks over there. But yeah, I think um, anyone who wants to get into writing, doing comic reviews and things like that, just go, go look at your favorite sites. And a lot of them are always looking for writers. Not everybody can pay, of course, but being able to read comics every week and um, have your writing out in the world. And occasionally if folks have enough staff, you get editing tips back too, which is just priceless. Having a second pair of eyes on what you do is always great. Yeah. And do you also get like uh, uh, readers, uh, comments, emails, whatever? I haven't gotten any hate emails or hate tweets ever. So I'm doing something right. Or it means that no one's reading what I'm writing, but I'd like to assume it's the, I'd like to assume it's the former. Yeah, I've met um, a lot of, a lot of, you know, indie folks I've made friends with by just picking up their work and reviewing it. And then, you know, if you get the chance to interview someone, you get to kind of walk through their work with them and see how they made it, why they made it, what inspired them. And sometimes, you know, some generative relationships can come out of that. Sometimes you make friends. Sometimes you just have a chat with a really cool person and you Hmm. maybe get a Twitter, a Twitter mutual out of it, or you don't get anything at all. And it's just a fun experience. So it's been really cool. Nice. And how did the Cabbage Comics happen? (laughs) So (laughs) I am a huge fan of the Patrick McGowan show, The Prisoner from the 60s. And, you know, it's the same character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. (laughs) Did you see um, on Twitter, Joe Michael Stojinski, the guy who wrote Babylon 5? I did, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Someone said it's not necessarily true, but I think it's a great story. He said, he he watched it a lot and figured it out. And mm-hmm. then years later, he he got a chance to talk to one of the people who wrote it. Mm-hmm. And then enough people bugged him on Twitter that he just wrote what it was. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I'm yeah. I, yeah. I love, I love that show. Um, I like the visual symbolism quite a bit. I like all the color. It's very distinct mm-hmm. and creepy, obviously. I also think that's the creepiest giant balloon I've ever seen in anything. Yeah. Somehow they managed to make that great. But anyway, there's a line in one of the episodes. It's not one of my favorite episodes. I think it's when they figure out the, the giant computer is running something or ranking people. And number two, or... I always get them mixed up. Number six says we are all of us little cabbages. And number two says knowledgeable cabbages. 
And that line just totally stuck in my head as something completely absurd. And I was trying to figure out what to name a website. Mm. And I was like, oh, well, knowledgeable cabbage comics. And then I changed my Twitter handle to cabbage comics for short, because no one wants to read something that long. And I can't even spell knowledgeable on a good day. And then cabbage just kind of stuck. And now people call me that I'm addressed more as cabbage than as my name, which is totally fine. Um, I had a really amazing artist, Darren Vote, uh, design me a sticker and the, the butt pin, which I kickstarted this previous year. And yeah, the cabbage thing has totally taken off. Well, the so now, butt pin? What, what's that? So I have one. I can show it to you. And it's just a little pin and it says a cabbage that looks like a butt. <laughs> and so this is the, the amazing adult thing that I kickstarted this past year. It did great. A bunch of people bought it. I was able to bring it into the world. And shout outs to Darren for designing such a cool piece of merchandise. But yeah, the cabbage has just taken off. And so I'm stuck with it, <laughs> which is so fine. Talk about what you do at the website. So I started that originally to have a place for my comic reviews because I just wanted to, I, you know, I love Matt. Um, the comic book Yeti format can be difficult for me just because I'm used to writing just kind of a huge wall of text. So I was like, I just want a place where I can also do my own thing and take a look at some of the smaller books that I might not have time to look at at other places. And so that started out as a review website. I started blogging about 80s horror movies, which I was getting into. And then it was also a place for me to advertise my editing services when I started doing that. So it's kind of mushroomed into this many pronged thing and I need to redesign it. How do you find like... On your website, there are lots of comics that are really hard to find. How do you find them? So I, I have really strange Twitter timeline luck. It's why I keep scrolling the timeline because I will just come across the coolest stuff that I've never seen before. You know, people retweeting other folks. It's how I found people like August in the Wake of Dawn, Erica Price, Emma Hubois, a lot of really other amazing trans artists who are out here making superlative comics, Lane Yates, who does single camera sitcom. And I just follow the thread. I see a piece of art I like, or I see a comic page or someone who says something funny and I go to their profile and look at what they do. And then if they make comics, I go take a look at what they are and I say, hey, can I review these? And also sometimes because... Um, I have, you know, all my info on my profile, people send me stuff and people send me good stuff. And it's very fun. Mm. Interesting. Nice. Very spoiled. <laughs> it's yes. When people say, like the stuff that's on your page looks really intriguing and I don't even know where to find somewhere. Thank um, you. Yeah. All those, all those folks have been mostly through Twitter, which is why I stick around. It's where, where I found my people and they're making some really cool stuff. If you have some really cool, like really cool people who do geek stuff, I'd like to talk to them. Like if you can send yeah. a few names. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can definitely awesome. send you some folks. Great. Good. Um, I also saw the uh, uh, Grendel thing. Yeah, the fanzine that I ended up not having time to make. <laughs> But still in the works. Um, yeah, so... Wait, I could talk for Grindle two is, hours. Uh, comic books created by uh, Matt Wagner. <laughs> yes. It is probably one of the foundational um, indie books of the 80s. And uh, Grendel originally began as backups in Mage, which is another book, you know, right. extremely popular of his. And he's, he's refreshed both of them. 
at this point because the the latest Grendel series um, at Dark Horse just wrapped, I think a couple months ago, if I'm not mistaken, or recently. Grendel is this strange archetypal multi-generational, now multi-planet spanning epic that began with a writer named Hunter Rose, who was kind of a, a Batman antithesis. He he became a crime lord. He was a villain. He was stalked by a werewolf. I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> but he came up with this alter ego, ego named Grendel, which, you know, based on the character from Beowulf, who is Beowulf's shadow. And he created this very distinctive mask and this giant fork weapon, which seems ridiculous, but when you see him using it, it actually looks pretty badass. Mm-hmm. And then... It's this strange story about how he, you know, adopted a little girl, very messed up relationship, you know, uh, met his downfall at the hands of an actual werewolf. They fought. And then the Grendel mask and fork, along with kind of the archetype of Grendel, carries forward to a new person, Christine Spar. And then there's Orion. And then there's Grendel Prime, the android. And then there's around the periphery of this, there's all these Grendel tales some done by Matt, some done by Matt and other artists, some done by other writers and artists entirely that kind of get at the spirit of this thing. And it's it's very primal, it's very violent, and it's very interesting. I, I didn't know there were so many series of Grendel. I met the original one in Mage back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And then the second series, with the, I don't remember, it was a Kabuki. Uh, yeah, Tujiro. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I stopped. I never realized there were more Grendels out there. Oh, it gets way weirder from there if it wasn't okay. weird enough already. <laughs> you should keep going. I will. No, it's, I odd. it's odd. It's um, odd. Some of it's strange and cheesy, but it's just so it's so near and dear to my heart because you get to see kind of what we were talking about earlier. This it, It's one person's brain and one person's story over decades at this point and seeing how he continually changes it and adds to it and carries things through. There's echoes from back to the beginning in even the series that Mm -hmm. he just finished. It's just amazing. It's really cool. Also, he's a fantastic artist himself. So yeah, he is. He's amazing. So speechless about how how good he is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there anything else we, we didn't that you wanted to talk about that we didn't cover? Um, no, I think, I think that pretty much covers it for me. Good. What is the future? Like, what, how do you see your future in this? Mm-hmm. I see my future, you know, there's the practical side and then there's the, the shoot for the star side. The practical side is still pretty optimistic. You know, I have, I have a day job. I do communications for an environmental nonprofit. I'm fine continuing to do that. And just working on comics, you know, saving up money, getting them made, doing my editing gigs, working with all sorts of people on their stories. It's such a privilege to be able to, to help people bring their stories come to life or help their stories come to life. And then just working on my own weird stuff. And then, you know, the pie in the sky is I released the series. It's incredibly popular. I get to quit my job and do comics all day. But that's not necessarily something that hits for everyone. And I would not be discouraged if I just was able to continually make stuff for the rest of my life. That's what I want to do. I just want to make cool stories. doesn't matter how, when, or at what pace. <laughs> cool. 
Uh, where can people find you? So you can find me at Cabbage Comics on Twitter, and you can reach me via email if you have an indie comic that you'd like reviewed, or if you need editing services at knowledgeablecabbage at gmail.com. And in case you can't remember that, because it's super long, you can visit my website, casey-comics.com, all sorts of ways to get in touch with me and check out some of the cool stuff that I've had a chance to review and some of the weird movies that I blog about. I also occasionally dish out uh, comics advice and I would recommend you follow me on Twitter because I have a very cute cat and there's bonus cat content often. Thank you so much to Krista Herodin. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with him as much as I did. You can find more of Krista on Twitter. Everything they said is uh, in the show notes. Now, next time, because there's always a next time, there are always more geeks all around the world. We usually talk about writing and representing that underrepresented place from which you come or that specific place from which you come. Next time, we talk to the opposite. We talk to an author who writes science fiction, fantasy, horror, and feels like she belongs nowhere. It's a very surprising conversation. Stick around for that. What did you think about this episode? Email me at guy.hasson at geekdemimpiles.com. Hasson is spelled H-A-S-S-O-N. It's in Never Never Lad. The website is geekdemimpiles on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, or at geekdemimpiles. And on YouTube, you find us by looking for geekdemimpiles. That, that was a surprise ending. That was a cliffhanger. If you want to check out my other podcast, The Squash Buckler Diaries, where I do something that's never been done before in fantasy, uh, feel free to check that out. Whatever you imagine when I say that, that's not the thing I do. So, The Squash Buckler Diaries podcast. If you want. I will see you next time, hopefully with a better voice and no cold. So for now, have an empowered day.